Hallelujah. Thank you, John. Um, yeah, we were just in Switzerland two weeks ago, ministering there, being part of a team where we had 85 missionaries come to a conference that are working throughout Europe and all of Eastern and Western Europe, and, and it was great to be able to see them on it. Um, we do have some brochures. If you don't want one, don't take one. You know, they do cost to print, but if you like one, and if you just want to um, take it to put it on whatever your prayer is, to remember to pray for a stick in your Bible, on your whatever, please take one. Um, show some of the pictures of the children, a picture of Mary and I here. So they'll be available. And then also we have, because of the new rules of the GDPR regulation, blah, blah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We do have some cards. If you want to receive updates from us. Now, we don't send out asking for money. We'll tell you about the children's project. We'll tell you about, you'll get one letter a month is all you get. It's one page. We don't do multi-pages. We figure you can read between the lines. We don't say, well, we sat at the bus station four hours, and then we did the, you know, we don't do any of that. Um, if you like to get that, you can get it by mail or you can get it by email, but you need to fill out one, and you must sign it to give us a legal right to be able to buy here. And we don't, I mean, we never have sold, you know, our mailing list is very small. I think in the UK we sent out snail mail, maybe 20 a month is all. Most of them go email, but, um, and that's not a lot. So if you like one of those, please take it. You know, if, if not, again, you know, it's not about me. In fact, we found out we had a brochure we were using for three years and never had our name in it. It had the ministry name, had our picture, but we never said Mary and Roger anywhere in it. And somebody said, you don't even have your name in there. Well, I'm not about promoting myself, so anyway. So you can see Mary, or we can put them back at the back there on it. Well, it's good to be here. It's good to see familiar faces and some new faces. And I didn't realize it's been two years. You know, we've been here a, a, couple, a few times before, but I didn't realize it had been that long. So it's exciting. If you brought your Bible with you, I was, I was praying about, Lord, and I always do, what do you want me to share? And sometimes, you know, as you travel, you can have a message for a travel. But God um, directed me early hours this morning to go in a different direction. So I got up this morning and, and um, prepared for that. But um, I, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. And I guess the title of my message, if you want to have a title, is Knowing God. Knowing God. John chapter 1, we find this story of Jesus just beginning um, his ministry and all. And in, in there, John stood with two of his disciples, verse 35, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And then two disciples in verse 37 heard him speak, and they followed him. Jesus turned, seeing them, following, said to them, What do you seek? I like that question. And I guess that's a question I'd ask today. What is it that you seek? What is it that you're after? What is it that your heartbeat is? I mean, so I, I know that missions is part of my heartbeat because I can get tired, and I do get tired. I'm 68 years old. You know, I get tired with all the traveling. And sometimes I think, that's it. And Mary just smiles and laughs at me. She said, yeah, that lasts about two weeks. And after about two weeks, you'll be wanting to go again. But what is it that people seek? There's an author by the name of John Eldridge, and he's got a couple of really good books out, one of them called Waking the Dead. And he says, why do so many people struggle with depression 
and discouragement today. You know, that's a big thing. And when we think about it, we have more than any generation before us has ever had. You know, we got more things. We got more disposable income. If you don't think so, all you have to do is go by the restaurant, you know, um, in the area, and at night they're full. You know, when you don't have money, you don't go out to eat because it's cheaper to go to the, the local shop and buy your groceries and come home and make it. When you're going to a restaurant, that's disposable income. Everybody seems to have iPhones and, and tablets and everything else. You know, even I remember when we first came to England in 83, there's very few automobiles. You could go down the street and find a place to park anywhere. I challenge you to do that now. You know, it's a challenge. You have to believe God for a parking space. So we have more than any generation ever had before, and yet people are more depressed and more discouraged than ever before and dissatisfied. And you ask, why is that? John says that John Eldridge says, because somewhere along the line, we gave our heart away and we don't know how to get it back. That's a powerful statement. We gave our heart away and we don't know how to get it back. Jesus asked people, asked these men that turned was following, what is it that you seek? What are you after? What are you looking for? By the way, if you um, came to church early, Wales won. For those who want to know on that one, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But, um, you know, what is it that people seek? Are you seeking fame? Are you seeking title? Are you seeking uh, fortune? You know, what does this seek? Paul said this in, in Philippians 3.10. Now, remember, Apostle Paul gave us the, the majority of the New Testament. He gave us the revelation of who we are in Christ. You know, um, the Old Testament pointed to Calvary, but Paul, God revealed what happened at Calvary. You know, the songs we're singing, how the cross has given us the victory. Paul gave us that revelation. Now, this is Apostle Paul, but he writes in Philippians 3, and, I, and I'm reading now the Amplified. For my determined purpose is that I may know him. Don't you think Paul knew him? You know, he's written all this, and yet he says, My determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. I don't know about you, but if Apostle Paul says that, where does that put us? Do we really know him? You know, I've been married 44 years, but sometimes I wonder, do I really know her? You know, you know, you know we may, Malcolm and I, we may know each other in a, in a measure, but we don't know each other in another measure. Many of us are acquainted with God, but do we know him? Look what Jeremiah 9 says. I'm going to read you a few scriptures. I know I like, I like the word of God. I like to turn to the word of God. Because you don't have to agree with anything I say, but if the word of God says it, then you have to make a decision. What are you going to do with it? Jeremiah chapter 9 says this in verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, let the wise man not glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord ex exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness 
in the earth. For in these things, in these I delight, says the Lord. He said, if we're going to delight in anything, we ought to delight in the fact that we know him. You know, in Myanmar, we, we ha the Bible school, they can get degrees with. They become a, have a bachelor degree. They can have a master's degree of theology. They can have a doctorate of theology. And it's very important in many parts of the world, those um, titles, those certificates, open up doors of influence for them, and they need them, okay? But at the end of the day, if you don't know Jesus, all those titles mean nothing. I used to tease people that one of my favorite scriptures is in John chapter 3, where Peter and John became before the Sanhedrin, and, the, and they made a note. These are unlearned men, but they had been with Jesus. So sometimes with some of my friends, I'll sign my name and put after it, B-W-J. You know, instead, you know, instead of Ph.D. and stuff like that, B-W-J, been with Jesus. If you can't put B-W-J after your name, you can have Ph.D., D.D., you know, B.A., whatever. Have all of those. I remember being in Leeds one time, ministering in at a church that we were meeting in uh, Leeds University. And they had a plaque on the wall that this had been, room had been dedicated by Lord so-and-so. And then after his name, there were three rows of letters. You know, they, most of them were military things. But, you know, he probably had an OBE and different things. But it was just da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But there was no BWJ after it. Paul said that I may know him. God said, you can have all this wisdom. You can have all this power. You can have, you know, you can have all the physical strength, all the riches. But if you don't know him, we're missing something. Amen? Do we really know him? I like what Moses prayed in Exodus 33, verse 13. And I'm reading this one out of the NIV. He says, Moses said to God, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Teach me your ways that I may know you. And then in Psalms 103, verse 7, God, it tells us God answered his prayers. It says that God made known his ways to Moses. And then it goes on, and I like this, because if you think about it, and his acts to the children of Israel. See, many people want to know God's acts, but they don't really want to know God. There's a difference. Many people seek his power. They want to see, you know, they want the gifts. They want, you know, the blessing. They don't want to know him. Moses wanted to know God. He said, show me your ways that I may know you. Many of the Israelites didn't know God. They only um, saw his acts. Now, I want to see his acts. Don't, don't get me wrong. But first, most, we want to know him. If we don't know him, we're missing everything. Moving on. D Daniel, turn with me to this one. You know, one of the, the things we have in leadership, and I do some leadership courses and all, is that how do we motivate people? You know, how do we keep people motivated? How do we keep people hooked in to what the vision is of the church or, or whatever? You know, how do, we, how do we do that? Well, I believe Daniel gives us a little insight into that. One verse, in Daniel 11, verse 32. And I'm reading from the, second, I'm reading from the King James or New King James, but the last part of the verse, of verse 32, says this. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Now, one translation says, shall take action. People that know God take action. You know, when you know God, you're motivated. You don't have to keep motivated because you know God. You know, people say, why do you keep doing it? I know that I know that I've heard from God. And people that know God are active. You know, we were created, you and I were created to be people of action.
We were never created to, to be idle. Man was created to be people of action. Look back in the garden. Look at it. We are always created to be doers. And in fact, it tells us being doers are the blessed ones. So as, if we know God, we are people of action. Think about it. If you know God, somebody comes to you from prayer, you don't have to call pastor. You don't have to call elder. You don't have to call somebody else. Why? Because I know God. I can take action. I can pray. Isn't that right? And yet when you think, think about most people, oh, they come, oh, well, let me, let me call somebody for me, or let me go and do this. You know, I have a real problem with Facebook, okay, so you just have to forgive me. You know, I believe that we as Christians, if you want to use Facebook, be careful what you post. Because don't make Christians look stupid. Because much of what Christians are posting makes you look stupid. Hello? For example, they'll say, get everybody to pray. Pass this on, you know, as many people, you know. Let me ask you a real question. How many righteous people does it take to get answered prayer? So then when, why aren't people interested in God? Because you got 10,000 people praying for something and nothing happens. You just need one person that knows God. See, be careful what you post. I know it sounds good, but no, my feeling on that is it's a good way to gossip and put a, and put a religious cloak on it so nobody thinks you can't be accused of God. Oh, I was just asking for prayer. No, you weren't. You were gossiping. Because if you know God, you can pray yourself. You don't have, you know. And you can go to somebody, you know, close to you. You can, you know, you don't have to post it to the whole world. Hello? Well, I didn't, I didn't name you. I don't, you know, because I don't know. I very rarely go on it. We do have a Reach in the World Facebook account that I just started doing, but, you know. But, see, we are created to be people of action. Action speaks of change, making a difference. When we know God, we make a difference. Do you know him? And when Apostle Paul wrote this scripture, he was writing at the end of his ministry. He was getting ready to say, I finished my course, I run my race. And, and yet he said, I want to know him. I want to know him. There's two stories in the book of, um, of the Gospels that I think are interesting. And I know that, you know, the Spirit of God kind of clouded their eyes, so to speak. There's a story where Jesus was resurrected and two disciples are walking down the road to Emmaus. And they're talking amongst themselves and Jesus joins them. And he keeps talking to them and they don't even know him. And yet they had walked with Jesus for three years. And yet when he comes in his resurrected form, they don't know him. And finally, he, he, he um, breaks bread with them, and their eyes are open, and they, they realize, my Lord, how, how often that is. I wonder how many times we've walked down the street, and Jesus is trying to walk with us, and we don't even recognize him because we don't really know him. We know about him. We've heard of him. We've seen his acts. But do you really know him? That should be our heart. If Jesus came to you right now, would we say, God, I would just want to know you. I want to know you more and more. Knowing requires, and I only got a few minutes, but I'm just going to give you three points. I'm not going to elaborate on them much because we don't have time this morning, okay? But to know somebody involves relationship. Isn't that right? You have to have relationship. John 15 tells us the story. He is the vine, we are the branches. The branches abide in the vine. 
The, the life is in the vine. You know, we have life because we're attached to him. Let me read from one translation here, and I like this. You know, just as the branch is unable to bear fruit from itself as a source, unless it remains in a living union with the vine, so neither you, unless you maintain, hear that word, maintain a living communion with me. If you maintain a living communion with me, my words are at home in you, and I will command you. Now listen to this. I like this. I will command you to ask at once something for yourself, and whatever your heart desires, it will become yours. Somebody says, oh, I don't believe you can do that. Jesus said that. If my words are in you, you abide in the vine, you have that relationship with me. He goes, I will command you. I command you, Joe, ask something, you know. But you know what? God knows because if your words are abiding in him, you'll be like Solomon. You won't ask for riches because you know him. Remember the story of Solomon. He goes, you didn't ask for riches. You didn't ask for fame. You asked for wisdom. And God said, I'll give you the riches beside all that. That's in the Bible. If we know him, he'll command us to ask something for ourselves. No, we're not going to ask for greedy, you know, I want, you know, 18 ice creams and, you know, whatever. We won't be like the child because we, we, we know him and we know what his heart is, his heart's desire. So number one, you have to have a relationship. Number two, relationship must be maintained with communion. Let me repeat that. To have a relationship, you have to have communion. One of the problems we find with many marriages, they cease to have that communion, communication. They, don't, they cease talking. And it breaks down. To have a relationship, you have to have communion. You know, a lot of people are like two cats. You can join two cats together, and they're united, but they're not, there's no fellowship. You can tie their tails together, and they are united. But the, don't, don't worry, I'm not tying cat's tails together, you know, don't write. It's an illustration only. You've got to be careful these days, you know, people. <laughs> but you have to have that communication, you know, with them. Jesus did. He sent his disciples away in Mark chapter 6, and he went aside to pray after he got done. When Peter and Martha and Mary came to Jesus, remember Martha was busy about many things, and Jesus had his feet, and Martha was complaining. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Mary desires the better gift. See, you have to have that time. You can't just stay busy. You have to have that relationship with them. Amen? Number three, like I said, I go over quickly. We could elaborate on these for an hour each, but we don't have time. Relationship requires commitment. Right? Requires commitment. Today, we have many relationships without commitment. God has never asked us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. You know, one of the problems we have today is people want to have a relationship, but they don't want to have any commitment. Relationship requires commitment. God was committed to us. He said, while we were yet sinners, he loved us. I like that. He, he was committed from the very beginning. From the time that Adam gave his heart away, God was committed to getting it back. In fact, he had it already planned out beforehand. All that God has been doing has been to reveal himself to us that we may know him. He did it all through the Old Testament. He told me he was their provider in Genesis, El Shaddai. He told me he was their healer. He told me he was their victor. He was their righteousness. He kept revealing himself so they would get to know 
him. We in the church need to know him. I'm going to turn to one more scripture, and, um, and then we'll, we'll turn it back over to, to the worship team and to John. But in Luke chapter 7, it's an interesting scripture. Luke chapter 7. Just bear with me for a couple minutes, and I know we're, we're at noon already. But in Luke chapter 7, the Pharisees, in verse 36, asked them to come and eat with them. So the Pharisees are the religious people, and Jesus comes and eat with them. And it says, and a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, in this context here, just to, for someone to say, now that's a, that woman's a sinner, it's implying more than just, you know, not saved. You understand? How would you like to have that title? Everybody in the town know, you're a sinner. You know, this, this lady, you know, this one's really bad. And she comes in, and it tells us that she takes an alabaster flask of, of oil, and, and at his feet she pours on his feet, weeping, and she begins to wipe his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. Now let me ask you something. In the Old Testament and in the Bible day, the hair of a woman was representative of what? Her glory. And she's taken those things that was representative of her glory and laying it at the feet of Jesus. I think that's powerful. Remember John, Jeremiah said, glory not in this. She lays it and uses her hair to wipe his feet. The religious people get mad at her. The story goes on. And Jesus turned and he says, I came in. You did not give me water to wash my feet. You didn't give me any fragrance for my body. This lady has been doing it from the thighs come in. And then Jesus um, tells her at the end that her sins are forgiven. See, when we come to Jesus, we to, whatever it is that we have glory in, whatever it is that we have pride in, we have to lay it at his feet. The woman had nothing to glory in other than her hair. She had no reputation. Or she had a reputation, but it wasn't one that she could glory in. She gave all that she had and laid it at his feet. You know, what do we have? Whatever is it that we're proud of? What is it that we glory in? Our house, our education, our status, you know, our physique, you know, our ability to speak, our ability to sing, our bank account. Whatever it is we glory in, if we want to know him, we have to come and say, Jesus, I lay that at your feet this morning. Come on up. Let me ask you people as they're coming up, what is it that you really seek today? If Jesus walked up to you and said, what is it that you want? What is it that you seek? Would you have something that's burning in you? Is there something that you seek every day? And you say, God, I, 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 I want more. I want more of you. Or is it most of your time praying, God, I need this need met. I need this need met. I need this need met. You know, he says he already meets our needs. You know, your job will never meet your needs. God never intended for you to your job to meet your needs. If you go back and read Ephesians, it says your job was to give you seed. God is the source. How many have found that out that no matter how many pay rises you get, it never is enough? Because your standard of living will rise. Well, if I could only make 50 pounds a week, I'd be happy. Well, now I need 75. Now I need 100. Now I need 150. Do I hear two? Do I hear three? You know, it's like an auction going on, you know. Why? Your job can never meet your need. It can never satisfy you. But there is one that can satisfy you. 
It's to know him. Show us your ways, O Lord, that we may know you. Bow your heads this morning. Father, we thank you. Jesus said that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. As we read our Bibles, Lord, we see clear pictures of Jesus, which gives us clear pictures of our Father. We may not have an earthly father that we have a clear picture of or that gives us a good image, but we have a heavenly father. And Father, this day we seek to know you. We want to know you in that intimate way. We want to know you. We don't want to glory in our abilities. We thank you for the abilities you've given us. We thank you for the wealth you've given us. We thank you for all that you've done for but that's not it. We want to know you, Lord, in more and more. If you're here today and you don't really know him, you may have made the confession, you may have come to church. You may have said, you know, Jesus is my Lord, but to be honest, you say, Lord, I don't really know you. I walk out of here and I'm just the same as when I came in. When I was a young boy, I remember I went to a church. I won't tell you what kind of ch what church it was. But I remember I used to think, these people go to church and they pray and they walk outside and they're no different than when they came in. And as a young man, I said, I don't need that. And I walked away from it until the day came that one day I personally had an experience with Jesus. Jesus wants you to know him. He's not making it hard. He's making it simple. If you want prayer this morning and you say, Lord, I have a hunger for you. I want you to just raise your hand. If he was to come up to you, I see that hand. Anybody else? We're just going to pray with you, you know, that when you go from here and you look, you say, God, I just want to know you. If you walk from here and Jesus walked with you on the road to Emmaus, would you know him? Would you know him? Oh, come on. That stranger walking next to you and think, wait a minute here. This is not a stranger. This is not a stranger. I know this. I know you. Somebody's here that I know. Amen. Father, I pray for the person that raised their hand right now. I say you give them revelation knowledge of the resurrection Jesus. That they would know you in a measure they've never seen before. That they would hear your voice like they never heard before. And the Father, as they open up the pages of your word, it would become alive like it never been before. And they said, well, I've read that. I've read that hundreds of times. But today I read it and I see it. That it's a living word. That he's a res resurrected living Lord. And we thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.